Support for the Lincoln Project podcast comes from Odoo. If you feel like you're wasting time and money with your current business software, or just want to know what you could be missing, then you need to join the millions of other users who've switched to Odoo. Odoo is the affordable, all-in-one management software with a library of fully integrated business applications that help you get more done in less time for a fraction of the price. To learn more, visit odoo.com Lincoln. That's O-D-O-O dot com slash Lincoln. Odoo, modern management made simple. Hey everyone, it's Reed. Before we get started, I think we need to understand a lot of times in life there's nuance, but sometimes in a fight like this, guys, there isn't. There is a good side and there is a bad side. This is a black and white decision. Re-electing Joe Biden in 2024 means the continuation of American democracy and the re-election of Donald Trump means the end of it. It is that simple, everybody. And I know we don't like binary choices, but here we are. And I need you to do everything you can to keep that in mind and to let your friends and your family and your colleagues and everybody in America know what the stakes are. It's not just you and me. It's our kids. It's our grandkids. It's the future of what we want America to be. I'll tell you this, guys. I don't know what happens when Joe Biden gets reelected, but it gives us opportunities. It gives us choices to decide how America continues. If Donald Trump gets reelected, that's taken away from all of us, and we will enter a period none of us even want to imagine. And so I want to say thank you to you, not only for all you've done and all you're doing, but all we will do together in the next 12 months. And now, on with the show. Welcome back to The Lincoln Project. I'm your host, Reed Galen. Today, I'm joined by Joe Walsh, former congressman and director of Mission Democracy. Mission Democracy is an organization whose mission is to educate Americans about the dangers posed by MAGA fascism and to encourage them to use democracy to help diminish MAGA's influence. Joe is also a former 2020 Republican presidential candidate, former member of the GOP, and current host of White Flag with Joe Walsh, a great podcast you can find wherever your favorite shows are found. Joe, good to have you back. Hey, Reed, it's always, I mean this, it's always an honor to be with you, buddy. All right, so Joe, I have to start with your former colleagues in the United States House of Representatives. It looks as we're recording this now on Wednesday afternoon, late afternoon Eastern time, that uh, Jim Jordan has failed a second time worse than the first time his vote yesterday. And, you know, what's interesting, Joe, is that the eight members who ousted McCarthy were sort of a dog's breakfast of weirdos, right? The people who have come out against Jordan seem to be, I mean, I I don't know if we can use the word establishment or moderate or even normal anymore, but, you know, they were members who live in congressional districts that Joe Biden won, members of the Appropriations Committee, right, who actually has to, you know, pay for things. So talk to us a little bit about, as someone who sat in that chamber, what does Jim Jordan, being not only nominated for speaker, but it's at one point yesterday getting 200 votes, like what does that say to you? It says to me that this is what needs to worry the country. Jim Jordan reflects the Republican Party. I served with Jim. He and I were very close friends. That ended a few years ago. But he's no outlier. This is a MAGA conference. The fact that he's even this close to becoming speaker 
shouldn't surprise anybody because this is where the party is. I had somebody yell at me yesterday, Reed, saying, Jim Jordan's an insurrectionist. How the hell can we have an insurrectionist as speaker? And I responded by saying, your party leader is an insurrectionist. Your 2024 nominee is an insurrectionist. So it's not at all surprising that Jordan is this close. He represents Republican voters, the base. Let me ask a question, a personal question. You probably answered it a lot, but I think it's important. You know, a lot of times you can compare MAGA or QAnon or anything like that to almost an addiction, right? And one, you know, you have to reach rock bottom to sort of start to find your way out. And you wake up one morning, you say, I just can't do it anymore. What was that point for you? Reed, that's such a great question. It was really about a month and a half into Trump's presidency. Remember, I voted for Trump and I campaigned for him. And when Trump got elected in 2016, I'm on 200 radio stations all over the country. I'm on Fox News every day. I'm one of those musket-grabbing MAGA guys. But Reed, I tell everybody all the time, I didn't really pay attention to Trump. I never watched The Apprentice. I didn't take him seriously. I figured he was just a goof, and maybe he'd put a couple good people around him. He'd play golf all the time, and maybe a couple good things might get done. Once he got elected, and I paid attention to him every single day, and I realized that every time this fucking guy opens his mouth, he lies. I remember two months into his presidency coming home from my radio show one night, sitting down having dinner with my wife, and I turned to her and I said, this is not going to end well for me. Sometime in the next year or so, I'm going to publicly turn against him and I'm going to lose my job and I'm going to lose everything. That was about a month and a half into his presidency. And it was mostly, Reed, just because he lied every time he spoke. And I was really bothered by the fact that after he won, we found out Russia fucked with our election to help him. And he got pissed off about that. He got defensive about that instead of being angry at Russia. Right. Which, as we recall, remember, he asked them for help <laughs> during the 2016 election and they were more than willing to oblige. But, you know, all things considered, Joe, that's a pretty early conversion into the Trumpocene era, right? Not even two years in from the summer of 15 to, let's say, March, April of 2017. That's a pretty quick turn. But full disclosure, Reed, so a month and a half in, I knew in my head and my heart, this guy's a bad guy and I'm, uh, eventually I'm going to turn against him. But then what I did for a year, because I'm, I'm a conservative talk radio guy, I tried to play the good Trump, bad Trump game for a year where I'd praise him when he did something good and I'd yell at him when he did something bad. But even doing that, I got pushback from my audience. Even doing that, I got pushback from Salem Media, my, my radio people who said, you can't criticize him. It finally built to where uh, Helsinki, the summer of 18, I went on the radio that night. I just went fucking ballistic. And I said, I'm going to do everything in my power to make sure he's not reelected. The minute I did that publicly, then I began to formally lose everything. So you've talked about that. I think even you've talked about that on our show, and you've been very candid about all of the, let's say, the career opportunities, career things you, you've lost. And then you, you ran against him in 20 as a Republican. But you know whether or not it was the what, 10 members that voted to impeach Trump after January 6th, I think nine of whom are now gone. Either they lost their primaries or they retired. I think David Valadeo, 
who must have a horseshoe up his rear end because nobody can beat him no matter how. Like He's in like a plus 13 Biden district. He just can't lose. I don't know what's going on. But so many people have talked about the mean tweets, the trolls, the people saying bad things about them on television. And, you know, that's not really enough. Now, like, I mean, Kinzinger, death threats. Romney spending 5000 bucks a month on personal security. Okay. But if you're the run-of-the-mill establishment Republican, no one, A, probably knows who you are, no offense to them, but B, turn the TV off. Don't look at Twitter, right? Like, you're going to grab a primary. Sorry. And what I don't understand, Joe, too, because you're, you're now a former member of Congress, is like, do these people think, like, once you leave Congress, the world ends? Like, do you, you walk off the edge of a cliff like a lemming? Like, why is it so hard, do you think, for people who know better to hide behind such BS excuses? Because, Reed, and I th- you know this, it's such a good gig. I was only in Congress for a short period, but it's such a good gig. And the longer you're there, the more you believe you're invincible and you're at the seat of power and you can do no wrong. You don't want to give that up. I was so disappointed this past week, earlier this week, when a number of institutional Republicans who don't like Jordan, and by the way, most of that caucus doesn't like Jim Jordan because he's an ass. And Mike Rogers down in Alabama, I think, and the number worst hairpiece in Congress. I know, I know, he's a good guy, but <laughs> oh my God, I screamed at him. I said, Mike, you've been in D.C. for fifty years. So what? Get some balls. It's awful hard to walk away. It really is. I mean, look, I grew up there. My dad worked on the Hill for a million years when I was a kid, and you know, so I, I understand that. And you know, as certainly even you know, as a member of Congress. There is a small group of people, your staff, who are literally there at your beck and call. And they are there to do whatever it is you want, right, within, well, not even now within normal bounds, and who are telling you, yes, sir, yes, congressman, no, congressman, of course, congressman, what can I do, congressman? And I assume, to your point, that that's probably pretty intoxicating. Oh, it's intoxicating, Reed, and that's a great point. When you're a member of Congress, you're surrounded by young people who look up to you, and they treat you like a king or a queen. Yes, congressman. Yes, congresswoman. And eventually, man, it, it goes to your head. It really does. And, and you create your own world where you are super, super important. And it's hard to walk away from that. It's the same thing. I mean, I was a big deal in right-wing media. The same deal, like the Rush Limbaugh's of the world and all of those, the more popular you get in right-wing media, people adore you. It's hard to walk away from that. But opposing Trump, there's no world for that. So let's, let's talk a little bit about Trump because near as I can tell, in 2018, he was electoral poison. In 2020, he lost his own election. In 2022, you could make an argument he was electoral poison. Okay, did the Republicans pick up the House? Yes, but very narrowly, as we're now seeing. I wouldn't surprise me if he, you know, told Gates, go out and get McCarthy because McCarthy didn't do what I told him. And now, you know, his handpicked guy is going to lose again. I mean, he's not a winner. I'll push back on my good friend, Reed Galen. His guy may not become Speaker Jim Jordan, but what, almost 200 Republicans in the conference voted for Jordan. And I don't know. Look, knowing Jordan like I know Jordan, he's a bully. And he wants to publicly bully his colleagues, get down on their knees and vote for him. Jim Jordan's instinct would be endless votes until they break. I don't think that will happen, but that's what he wants to do. 
the vast majority of Republicans in the House are either Donald Trump cheerleaders or they're Donald Trump supporters. This is overwhelmingly still his party. He's going to be the nominee. And I, I think you and I agree on this. I think people underestimate how easily he could get reelected. I agree. I don't know that it would be easy, but certainly I, I agree that it, it is absolutely. I don't know if it's an even money bet, but it's sure close. It's sure close. And I think back to 2020, Joe, to the general election where, you know, he and Jared and everybody else totally bungled COVID. He was as insane as he'd ever been. He deploys troops to the streets. He gives, you know, local cops license basically to beat up protesters. He has COVID. He's insane on the debate stage, you know, and yeah, okay, so he loses by 7 million popular votes. But the truth is he didn't lose by that much in the six or seven states that matter. No, and 70,000 maybe or 55,000 votes electorally he lost by. Look, I think these four indictments are a trap. And I can't tell you, Reed, over the last few months, how many normal Republicans or independents who don't like Trump who've told me, Joe, this is fucking piling on. I mean, this is ridiculous. It's like they're going after the guy. Trump can play that, and that resonates beyond his base. And my nightmare scenario, Reed, is he gets off on one of these things next year. He's acquitted. Yeah, there's a hung jury. Or there's a hung jury, yeah. And then he's like... I told you so. Man, yeah, yeah. Well, I take a slightly different perspective only because of what we've seen, how he's acting in this New York case, which is he, he goes into the courthouse, he sits there, you know, he's angry, he comes out of the courthouse, he says something unhinged. And that's just one case in New York where, which goes straight to his personality, which is he is a billionaire, which it turns out he's not, at least not by legitimate means. But when, you know, and, and I've told this story before, when he's sitting there at the witness table or the defense table in either D.C. or Atlanta, who knows what's going to happen in Fort Pierce, Florida, and he's got a bunch of people that worked for him going, he did it. He did it. I mean, again, how can you tell if the guy's brain is broken, but it might just melt out of his ears because I'm just not sure that he can handle something like that with so many people he sees as traitors and people who have betrayed him. The ultimate as you know, Joe, and you have lived through, you know, I've been an opponent of MAGA since, you know, 2015, since the beginning. I live in one place in the sort of enemies list universe. You betrayed them. And that makes you worse. These people who will be on the witness stand have betrayed him. And that makes them worse. Agreed. Agreed. Totally. I am a traitor. I'm on his list. I'm a traitor to the right. I'm on their list. But, you know, Reed, Trump has a superpower. And his superpower is he's incapable of shame. Look, he may be losing his marbles just because I think he's fucking nuts to begin with. But I don't think this kind of thing, these that is sitting in the courtroom, I don't think it gets to him. He doesn't think he did anything wrong. This is his campaign. I mean, the, the courtroom appearances and standing outside the courtroom, that those will be his campaign rallies next year. This is his campaign. He's going to run as a victim of the deep state. And I worry that that can play better beyond his base than people think. Well, yeah, I mean, because there are a certain number of people who love him no matter what. And there are a certain number of people who loathe him no matter what. And again, like everything else, right, Joe, maybe the circumstances of how we got here are different, but it's still that 10 or 11% in the middle. Yeah. Reed, 
disagree with me. But I can see people who voted for Biden in 20 voting for Trump in 24. I think the further we're removed from his actual four years of just fucking madness in that White House, people forget what it was like day after day. I applaud Biden. Biden has been a prince for Israel. Biden's done some great things. Biden's old and Biden doesn't play well. And people don't understand how this economy is going, good or bad. And too many people want to be entertained. And Trump was entertaining. I just think there's a quiet, there are people who, after Trump's four years, oh my God, that's enough. But now they're thinking, you know, that wasn't so bad and the economy was good and he made me laugh every now and then. I just, I, wor I worry. But how do you remind people of that four years first? And second, how do you illustrate for a country who's never really seen an authoritarian, fully empowered, what that looks like? I think Biden has to do what he did in 22, and I think he has to do it in 24 again. He's got to make the democracy case. I know a lot of smart political people tell him not to. Smart political people in 2022 told him not to talk about the threat to democracy. Not us. Yeah, we not were you. out there. Thank you, Reed Galen. Not you. Not Lincoln Project. <laughs> Honest. Way to go. A lot of Democrats worried about that. Talk about the economy, blah, blah. But look, worrying is their first step, right? They go through the five stages of grief and then they go to work. <laughs> <laughs> so true. So true. I do think Biden has to lean into this threat to democracy thing because that's the whole enchilada. And I think even though people won't acknowledge it publicly, I think it works with a lot of voters. Yeah, because again, this is what we tell our, you know, our friends, Democratic friends, friends on the left. You know, my issue is choice. My issue is the environment. My issue is this. My issue is that. I said, look, we're not a policy organization. We're a political organization. We're a fighting group. But I'll tell you this, if you truly care about those things, then you're going to make sure you do everything you can to make sure that your guy wins, our guy wins. Because if he doesn't, all that stuff you care about, forget about it. Goodbye. It all goes away. Oh, it's so true for you. Damn near every group I speak in front of, I always lead with fucking grow up. Fucking grow up. You know what? You don't always get the candidate you like. You don't, get a, you don't <laughs> right? always get the yes. candidate that inspires you and he's a great speaker and uh, he motivates you and he's great on your... Fuck it. This guy over here wants to end this democracy. I don't give a damn if Biden's 90 years old. Grow up. Support for the Lincoln Project podcast comes from Odoo. If you feel like you're wasting time and money with your current business software or just want to know what you could be missing, then you need to join the millions of other users who've switched to Odoo. Odoo is the affordable, all-in-one management software with a library of fully integrated business applications that help you get more done in less time for a fraction of the price. To learn more, visit odoo.com slash Lincoln. That's O-D-O-O dot -O com slash Lincoln. Odoo, modern management made simple. Do you think that there are Republicans who were with Trump in 16, were with Trump in 20, considered themselves like you did, you know, MAGA. Do you think there's been any erosion of those people or do you think they've consolidated because of everything? Yeah, I don't. I, th I think they, they're on their way home or they've already come home. And I think it will only increase. You and I and a lot of other smart people, I think, said about eight months ago that this primary would not be a primary, that 
once DeSantis is around people, his campaign's going to end. There's going to be an invincibility about Trump. And I think a lot of Republicans are more disappointed in Biden than I would have expected. Right. Yeah, me too. Yeah. And so I think they're just going to quietly consolidate around Trump. And that's that. So let's talk about these candidates, if that's what we want to call them. I mean, you ran against Trump in the 2020 primary. So now you have these group of people. You know, it looks like Vivek Ramaswamy, you know, finally got the he's gone. Mike Pence is in debt. Asa Hutchison never, I mean, God love him, never got off the ground. You know, DeSantis has a little bit of money, but he's not going anywhere. Tim Scott, and look, his super PAC just pulled $44 million worth of TV time down, right? Which basically means Larry Ellison said, send the money back. And so, you know, that leaves you Christie, Haley. Again, DeSantis is still there. Doug Burgum will be gone. Why are any of these people doing this? Because here's the thing, Joe, at least you went into it knowing, one, that it was a nearly insurmountable test, but you went into it, A, knowing that, and B, willing to go at the guy. These people, like, as you know, having run for office, if you want to beat your opponent, you must tell voters why you are better than your opponent, and they don't want to do that. Completely agree. Reed, I completely agree with you, but I'll just, I'll, I'll just be contrarian. Please. And I do agree with you. And if I were running against Trump right now, that again, that's what I'd be doing. And I wouldn't have a fucking prayer. I understand that DeSantis and all of the rest of them from the beginning, none of them have really tried to beat Trump. They all made a bet six, eight, nine months ago. They all made a bet that a heart attack or a jail cell is going to take this guy out of the race. And he owns the base of the party. So it would have been political suicide for any of them to go after Trump. I still believe that. I won't criticize them for that. They made a calculated bet, but they never really had a shot from the beginning. And we all love what Chris Christie's doing. Chris, there's, Chris Christie has no fucking constituency in this party. None. No, it's really more of a reputation repair slash get me back on yes. CBS. <laughs> right. Completely. Or ABC, Completely. whatever it is. Yeah. And by the way, that, that pisses me off, Reed. You, because you were good from the beginning, you saw the light from the beginning. You've seen a lot of people finding the light over the last six or seven years. I only respect people who stood up in the public square and said, I oppose that. I oppose him when they knew it would cost them everything. I did that. Liz Cheney did that. Adam Kinzinger did that. Not Chris Christie. And not a lot of other people. Chris Christie's known Trump better than damn near anybody the last 20 years. He had opportunities to stand up when it would hurt him, and he didn't. And there are a lot of Republicans like that. Even after the abject humiliation, which I just don't understand. I just don't understand, Joe. Like, who is willing to be so publicly flogged and flayed and diminished? I mean, for Christ's sakes, Trump almost killed him with COVID. Read it's your life. If you publicly stand up and really declare war on Trump and Trumpism, you are no longer viable. I can never be a Republican again. But would you want to be? No, no, no. But, but you give up your career in that party. You are no longer relevant. Adam Kinzinger, good buddy, former colleague of mine. Sure. From Illinois, like you. From Illinois, like me. Same class we got elected. He's going through the same thing right now. It's really difficult to no longer feel super relevant. That's a hard thing not to be a part of. Yeah, but that's where, but I mean, I think one thing I saw 
going back to 2017. I mean, look, I left the party early 2016 once it became clear that Trump was going to be the nominee. Of course, none of us thought he was going to win. But what I found after becoming an independent and spending two or three years in the independent and reform space was, could a lot of it feel like, you know, Sisyphus pushing the rock up the hill? Absolutely. But I didn't ever feel irrelevant. And I, maybe if I was, I didn't worry about it. That's a great point. And thank you for that correction. The difference would be with guys like Chris Christie and Adam Kinzinger and even me to a degree, there will always be a part of us that want to run again. And so when you're in this independent, homeless, never Trumper space, electorally, you're almost done. No. And, you know, it's, it's funny you say that. My dad, always, my dad, who worked in politics for a long time, always said, People that run for office are different than the rest of us. They just have a chip. <laughs> they have it's a so chip true. the rest of us don't have, right? It's so true. It's so true. But there's also, I mean, the flip side of that is a willingness to put yourself before the people, to put your name on the ballot and say, I'm willing to be judged publicly on my merits and, and, and to be found left wanting. Yeah. So, you know, where do we go here now? We've got, you know, as it's like, let's say 53, 54 weeks to election day, 2024, you know, give me your crystal ball. What is what is the next three, six, nine months, 12 months look like to you? I think it's going to be a political war worse than 20. I think the Republicans lost the House two weeks ago when they got rid of McCarthy. So it doesn't matter to me who the next speaker is. I think the Republicans are done in the House. The Senate's going to be a battle. But to me, again, this is going to be Biden-Trump and this coalition of people who oppose Trump but they're not motivated by Biden, man, it, it's going to be a year here of really having to dig down and crank it up again and Joe Walsh locking arms with Democrats because that coalition has to hold. No, and that's, I mean, we wrote a piece about that, gosh, in December of 2020 saying like, this isn't over. Um, let me turn to foreign policy just for a second because I know that you've been talking a lot about Israel and what's going on there. So give us your sense of, you know, Hamas two weekends ago attacks Israel. In, you know, it's an incursion, right? I mean, I don't know if it's an invasion. I don't know the difference, the, the scale of an incursion versus an invasion, but it's certainly an incursion. Kill hundreds of innocent Israelis. And now what Hamas knew was going to happen is happening, which is hundreds of Palestinians, innocent Palestinians are being killed as Israel tries to root out Hamas. And now the Islamic Jihad is back in the game and Hezbollah's over there shooting rockets into the Golan Heights. So give us your sense of what's going on. I am, uh, Reed, extremely pro-Israel. When I was in Congress, I prided myself on being the most pro-Israel member of Congress. I would like to retire and die in Israel one day. If I were younger, I'd be over there right now helping, fighting. October 7th changed everything. Israel will never be the same. Gaza is going to change. That region's going to change. Israel will never go back to October 6th. By the way, Biden, again, huge props for standing so firmly with Israel. Everybody Reid talks about, and I'd love your take, how complicated the Middle East is. Fuck it. I don't think it is. You've got two neighbors who've been living side by side, and they can't live side by side. Why? Because one of the neighbors doesn't believe the other neighbor has a right to exist. I mean, that's the truth. Hamas, Hezbollah, these radical groups, it's in their government charters. They don't believe Israel has a right to exist. There's not a military solution to the Middle East. Israel's going to do what they have to do. And the world better buckle up because we're going to see things over the next few weeks and months that we've never seen. 
they will try to eliminate Hamas, but then what? And the then what is, you're never going to have fucking peace in that region until moderate Arab countries stand with Israel and stand against the radical Muslim organizations and countries that fundamentally do not believe Israel has a right to exist, period. Let me ask you a question. I see this more as a historical and sort of geopolitical question as opposed to a ideological question. I mean, the southern end of Gaza borders Egypt. Where and when does Egypt step in or have a responsibility here? I'm not saying that they're alone. I'm just asking the question because I don't know. That's up to us, Reed. And I hope that Biden privately, they've been placing a lot of pressure on Egypt and Jordan, right? They've made clear that they're not taking any Palestinian refugees. They're not going to lift a finger to help. And this goes again to sort of the problem in the neighborhood. Having Gaza and the Palestinian people and Hamas right next door to Israel has been a great thing for all the moderate Arab countries in the region because every time something happens, they can just blame Israel. Why have they not done anything to help the Palestinian people? Because it's something they can hammer Israel with. That has to change, and it's not going to change until America really applies pressure on Egypt, namely. And how do you see, I mean, the Iranians are obviously, you know, death to Israel is, you know, every other word out of their mouths. But the Iranians and the Saudis now had their first conversation, which to me is sort of Molotov. Ribbentrop light a little bit. And then you've got Russia out there who will do anything to cause us, the United States, more trouble, cause Biden more trouble, distract from their own butchery in Ukraine. How do you sort of unwind all this stuff? Is it even possible? I think the impetus for what Hamas did on October 7th, led by Iran and planned for a year to two, the impetus for all of this was that Israel has begun normalizing relations with a number of moderate Arab countries, the Saudis were scheduled to be next. And that's why this happened, to stop that process. So again, read to me, the key is all of the, the, the Saudis, the Jordans, the Egypts, all of the moderate Arab countries have to continue this move toward relations with Israel and isolate Iran and their radical proxies. But I mean, so for someone like Mohammed bin Salman, who wants to greenwash golf and is likely to try and greenwash tennis and, you know, wants to wear the, the royal garb when it suits his purposes, but he also wants to wear the Brioni suit in New York City when it suits his purposes. I mean, if he's all powerful in Saudi Arabia and he has, if not the region's largest military, one of the region's largest militaries. Why can't he tell Hamas, cut it out? Why doesn't he? Because he's afraid of all of these countries of which we're speaking, the Saudis, Jordan, Egypt, all of them go down the line. They all have the radical elements within their own countries. And so they're afraid of inflaming that. It's the dance they've been playing for a long, long time. How do you get over that dance? Because you're, you're right, Saudi Arabia should be able to do that like tomorrow the United States is going to have to lead on this with Israel. So President Biden has now gone not to one, but two active war zones in just recent months. Huge. 
the Arab leaders canceled their meetings with Biden. Do you think that was under pressure from the Hamas's of the world? I mean, I, it seems like they were blaming the explosion at this hospital, which is still indetermined the cause, whether or not it was an airstrike or a wayward Islamic Jihad rocket. But do you think the, the radicals that you're speaking of said to them, don't go see him? Yeah, absolutely. And in fact, Saudi Arabia came out with a statement yesterday blaming Israel, blaming an airstrike. Most of those countries did publicly. They don't say privately what they say publicly, though. So they're dealing with us. They're dealing. There are private channels with Israel. My fear is, again, the cycle's always the same. Hamas or Hezbollah hits Israel. Israel responds, and the world criticizes Israel. And that we're already seeing that the West is going to have to stand really firm with Israel because over the course of the next few months, Israel's going to do things they've never done that we're not used to seeing. And it's going to really test our faith and patience with Israel. I worry about that breaking. And Joe Biden, to his credit, hasn't said the goddamn words of restraint or ceasefire yet, which is great. But there's going to be enormous pressure after the next three or four months, day by day, watching what's going to happen in Gaza. Well, and this is, again, this, th these things, as you said, there's a cycle. Let me ask you a political question about Israel. So Benjamin Netanyahu has been in and out of power now for, what, a couple of decades. Even before October 7th, there were massive protests in the streets because he was trying to, as, as I recall, trying to reform the Supreme Court, basically to get himself out of trouble. I saw a survey, I think it was, was it late last week or earlier this week, Joe, that said something like 75, 78% of Israelis had said, when this is done, he is too. How do you see that? He's toast. Reed, he's toast. Look, I, I, I've always loved Bibi. Bibi's been there too damn long and a little too damn corrupt and a little too damn authoritarian. And he's developed way, way, way over the years, much too much of a big head. He's been there too damn long. This was, we're not talking about it now, and we shouldn't be. This was a huge fucking government failure on the part of Israel. And Bibi is going to pay for that and should pay for that. He'll be toast when this is all done. Right. I mean, because we think of, obviously, the IDF, the Israeli Defense Forces, they fought off most of the Middle East, you know, what, three, four, five, six times over the last 70 years? The Mossad is, you know, largely known as one of the best, if not the best intelligence service in the world. And by the way, Reed, that's what really hurt on October 7th is a big part of Israel's strength was deterrence, the perception of what you just said, that they were invincible. And oh my God, the damage done because of October 7th to that perceived invincibility is huge. And, you know, we think about this too, as we wrap up here, Joe, is Israel only has about 10 million people, right? That's less people than Los Angeles County, California, right? Think about that. And the number of Israelis who have died in number, I'm not going to say it's small because that's insulting to those who've been lost, really in the Palestinians too. That's basically like taking the University of Michigan campus or UT Austin and just emptying it completely, saying, you know, those people just don't exist anymore if it was here in the United States, just to give it a scale, I think. You folks at the Lincoln Project, and I've been there right with you, we have spent a good deal of the last few years talking about some of the ugly anti-Semitism on the right, and it's on the right. Uh, there's also ugly anti-Semitism on the left, and we've seen that over the course of these last couple of weeks. 
most of America supports Israel. Biden has been very strong with Israel. I do believe that will help him politically next year. This is one thing we need to remember about Biden. Biden is no like reconstructive pacifist, <laughs> right? Like he is not Barack Obama. He is not Bill Clinton, right? He's not Jimmy Carter even. He's probably closer to JFK. Yeah, very right? much so. Or Lyndon Johnson when it comes to national security and foreign policy. I mean, he was chair of the Foreign Affairs Committee. It's what he's always loved the most as well. And when you look at his first term, read, yeah, he's done some domestic stuff, but on foreign policy, he's been consequential and a giant. What he's done with Ukraine, and I know getting out of Afghanistan was messy. I think it was always going to be messy, but God bless him. He got us out. There's a reason why they call the place the graveyard of empires. Right? Exactly. <laughs> it, didn't, it, didn't, exactly. It didn't just come by that nickname, you know, by yeah. accident, right? Nobody's ever been able to figure it out because they're going to wait. It's, look, I mean, we've seen this, whether or not it was Iraq, Afghanistan, Vietnam, right? They'll wait you out. You might be the most powerful country or the Soviet Union when they tried to go out of Afghanistan or the Russia or the Great Britain, the British Empire, when they tried to go in Afghanistan, they'll just wait you out. The guy that was trying to get rid of the British Empire, you know, in the 19th century is the same guy who was trying to get rid of the U.S. in the 21st century, right? He doesn't change. He's just that guy's great-grandson. Yeah. Um, Joe, tell me a little bit about Mission Democracy and what you're doing there. So here's the deal, Reed. We're actually going to emulate the Lincoln Project a little bit. And this is what I've always loved about the Lincoln Project, because you guys are brawlers, you're fighters, and that's what we need. Um, Mission Democracy is going to go after the MAGA movement and very specifically call it out for being a fascist movement, identify the fascist things they're doing. And look, I'm a former MAGA guy, so a reformed MAGA gangbanger is going to lead this effort to try to call out. I don't think America sufficiently understands how fascist the movement is and how fascism is here more than people think. Thank you guys for doing that. And certainly, you know, as we've said, we all need to lock arms together and figure this out is I'm reading Heather Cox Richardson's new book, Democracy Awakening, free plug for Heather. And, you know, first it's a, it's a walk back through Trump's first term, which I think is important, but also just a reminder of the fascistic nature of Trump personally and the movement and that it is Hitlerian in so many ways, the words they've used, the big lie, all of these things. And I think we forget, Joe, because Trump is such a boob, because he is such a carnival barker, one that he individually understands his people so instinctually, but that the people around him are very, very smart. They're very well resourced and they're relentless. Exactly, Reed. And, and I don't think we can tiptoe around it. Now, maybe a lot of people don't understand what fascism really is. We'll let them know. Banning books, rewriting history, demonizing your political opponents, uh, violence, all the rest, authoritarianism, all the rest. America needs to confront this. Yeah. And as we've seen, when you don't, it's often the people who just say, it's not that bad. It's not my problem. Right. It's the people who don't wake up. But also what we've seen is that these movements often eat themselves. But in the process of doing so, eat a whole hell of a lot of other people and things in the way. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Joe Walsh, if you still dare to be on social media, where would we find you? You're the best. Just follow me on Twitter at Walsh Freedom. That'd be awesome. All right. As long as that 
rickety thing is still working. As always, gang, you can find me on Twitter, I guess, at Reed Galen, on Instagram and threads at Reed underscore Galen underscore LP, and the Homefront Substack. Please join. Get two, three days a week more from me, because I think that's what everybody wants to hear. Joe Walsh, thanks so much for coming. Thanks, Reed Galen. Thanks for what you do. Everybody else, we'll see you next time. Thanks again to everyone for listening. Be sure to follow and subscribe to The Lincoln Project on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or however you listen. Don't forget to leave a five-star review. To connect with us, follow us on Twitter, at Project Lincoln. And for more information on our movement, to join our mailing list, subscribe to our newsletter, or make a contribution to our efforts, visit lincolnproject.us. If you want to message the podcast directly, please send an email to podcast at lincolnproject.us. And if you want to personally join the fight to save our nation's democracy, visit jointheunion.us. For The Lincoln Project, I'm Reed Galen. I'll see you on the next episode.